Hey, it's Shane here, and we're back for season three of Phone Calls with Clever People. And to kick off the season, I'm bringing back one of my favorite guests, Gabriel Dolan, who last season dropped the title of her upcoming book on the show. And so I vowed to myself, I've got to bring her back when it's released and pick up the conversation. I thought there's no better way to kick off the podcast. Today, we're talking about brand stories. Raul believes they have this magnetic quality that attracts and retains customers and helps you connect and engage employees. And so today, I'm giving her a call to talk all about it. Hello? Hi. We'll do it live. Do it live! I'll write it and we'll do it live! 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Liftoff! Hi, everyone, and welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. My name's Shane Hatton. I'm a speaker, author, and mentor from Melbourne, Australia, and I'm passionate about all things leadership and communication. I realized recently that I know some really clever people in my network, and I thought it would be a fun idea to be able to take some of their cleverness and share it with the rest of the world. Now, through the wonders of technology, I'm broadcasting my phone calls with clever people just for you. And really, the premise is quite simple. I just want to be able to ask great questions of talented people to help us all become more effective leaders. Joining me on the phone today is Raul Dolan, who is a sought-after international speaker and educator on real communication and business storytelling. She's worked with a broad range of household names that I'm sure you're aware of, not to mention Cough Cough, the Obama Foundation. She's the best-selling author of six books, and her latest book is called Magnetic Stories, and I'm so excited to have her on the phone today. Raul Dolan, uh, welcome back to the podcast, not just our our first guest of the season, but also my very first return guest in the podcast. It's so great to have you back again. Oh, thank you, Shane. And I love being a return guest because, you know, it makes me think clearly we enjoyed our chat last time. Well, that's true. That's true. There, there could have been the one conversation that we say, you know, this was great and uh, we'll never talk to you again. But the fact that we're still talking and we're still coming back and we're bringing things back obviously added a lot of value. And also at the same time, I remember last time you shared some exclusive news on this podcast. And so um, it kind of like created this tension that I've been carrying around for the last few months that hasn't been resolved. So even if you didn't come back, I would have to just carry that tension around. So we couldn't not get you back on the show. <laughs> yes, yes. When you well, when you get an exclusive, you you know clearly need me back again. That's that's true. That's true. Hey, you've been doing a lot lately. I I, I want to typically I would ask kind of the fast facts, which is like you know where were you born, where did you grow up, and what was your first job, and all that kind of information. People can go back and listen to the podcast a bit. I want to hear what you've been up to. I think it's been a few months now since we we caught up on the podcast. Christmas has been and gone. Uh, the New Year's kicked off. What's been happening in the world of Raul Dolan? Well, yes, it has been a while. So, um, I mean, the, the most exciting thing is the, the exclusive that we shared last time was the name of my new book, which I had just landed on, and that and that is um, now out, it's out and about, so that's exciting. It's very um, exciting. But, yeah, for the last six months I've been, you know, I managed to have a good break over um, December, although I am getting sick of spending New Year's Eve in a car, so last New Year's Eve, we spent it in a car as we were evacuated from the bushfires. And wow. this New Year's Eve, we spent it in the car again, making the mad dash across the border to make it back to Victoria. Um, so next year, we're going to plan to spend it in the car and see what happens, <laughs> see if reverse psychology works. Uh, so that's, but yeah, managed to have a good good break Um 
managed to get back to Sydney a couple of times and ran my first face-to-face in-person training program a couple of weeks ago, which was very, very exciting. I saw I saw you doing some face-to-face work and it was so unusual to see people all in the same room together. And I, one of my favorite uh, uh, ways of describing it, you talked about on LinkedIn what it was like going back to face-to-face similar mm. to the journey of what it was like um, during pregnancy. Do you, do you remember yeah. what you shared around that? Can you share yeah, that with people? Yeah, I did. So during virtual delivery, like I, I must admit, I have been really, really pleasantly surprised how well virtual training's gone. It's, it's a different skill set and you've got to, you've got to run training differently, but it's, it's been great. And the feedback I've got from clients has been amazing. But I always had this suspicion that it was like when you're pregnant and you drink um, non-alcoholic wine. You, you've probably never experienced this, Shane, but you, you, you drink non-alcoholic wine and you sit there going, oh, this isn't too bad. And you kid yourself. You kid yourself for nine months that it's as good as the real thing. And then when you have a Shiraz, you just have it and you go, who was I kidding? So yeah, last, when I ran that face-to-face in-person training, it was like sitting down in front of a fire, having a bloody good Shiraz that you hadn't had for 11 months. <laughs> Just back, to the, there, there is nothing quite like the experience of being in a room with people and I've loved online. We've been online for you know nearly over 12 months now and obviously there's, it's a great experience, but there's something about just being in the rooms with people, uh, which is just a different a different experience altogether, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is different. And and like I said, being able to do stuff virtually has been amazing and there's been a huge amount of benefits for that, like being able to reach a wider audience, um, but it's not quite the same. And, you know, and yes, and I had to remember to pack manuals and pack books and all that stuff, which I wasn't used to. Yeah, and, and you must be stoked to be able to just um, be able to, to bust out the shoes again because you have quite a – it has become part of your signature brand, isn't it, your shoes that you wear to training? Yeah, it's, it's it's funny. I've um, it was. I think I put a post on it. It was like it was good to be able to bring out the girls again and take them for a bit of a spin. Um, because yeah, it's interesting that my shoes has become part of my brand. Which uh, it's actually I share that story how that happened in the book too. It happened quite organically. Um, but yeah, it just it became part of my brand. So yeah, had loved getting the shoes out again. For people who are maybe listening to the podcast for the first time who haven't heard the backstory, uh, people may have heard a, a little bit about you, but maybe give us in, in your own words, like like who are you and, and what do you do? Yeah, look, I um and I and I probably should say because you know we know each other and you're calling me Ral and everyone calls me Ral except my husband and my mother when I'm getting in trouble. So it's Gabriel, <laughs> but everyone calls me Ral. So I, you know, quick story, I I used to work at National Australia Bank for 17 years. Um, I, I held some senior leadership roles and change management roles and it was there that I sort of started playing with this idea of we need to be able to communicate better. Like, um, you know, we, we so store, I noticed people that were sharing stories were communicating better. I guess I've been on both sides of that um both sides of poor communication. So as, as a, um, a listener, as an employee, going what the hell they were talking about and also the frustration as a leader saying, why don't they get that? We've told them. So it started this thing of how do we communicate more effectively, more authentically, you know, more you know, getting real and storytelling is a way to do that. Um, also reducing the amount of jargon and acronyms we use is a simple way to do it as well. So for the last 17 years I've been – 
working with businesses on helping them to communicate in a more engaging, effective way using stories. And, um, you know, 17 years ago, it wasn't that popular, but now it is very, very popular. So, um, yeah, so that's what I've been doing for 17 years, which actually find amazing and um, and just about to publish my sixth book, which is even more amazing because I, if someone had told me I'd write one book, I wouldn't believe them, um, let alone six, that's for sure. See, I feel like you've added so much in the landscape of storytelling. And I would say, obviously, definitely within Australia, but even at a global level, um, I, I see from time to time different people that are completely like disconnected or, or not kind of like a mutual connection. I'll see your name pop up on a LinkedIn post somewhere or an Instagram story somewhere. And it always just makes me smile knowing that great um, Australian thinkers are really starting to change the landscape and the narrative around storytelling at a, at a global level. And, and obviously within here in Australia as well. And when I first kind of discovered a lot of your work, um, when I started, obviously it was um, uh, stories for work. It was really heavily focused around, I guess, personal stories and the impact and the importance of sharing personal stories. And uh, I've known that obviously that's been a big part of your work for a long time. But the, the latest book, which I'm, I'm really excited to kind of hear a little bit more about, has, has started to make a bit of a shift, not in away from personal stories, but from a different lens of storytelling, uh, do you want to kind of maybe share a little bit about where what that journey's looked like for you? Yeah, it's, um, it was probably like about a year ago. It was when I decided to write the book, and um, it came about because I I could see so storytelling sort of became popular, and then I saw a lot of companies trying to implement storytelling and what what they were calling brand storytelling. So you know, like you know, your brand's important. We've all got a brand, and how you can communicate that through stories. And what I noticed is that they were getting it terribly, terribly wrong. So, for example, they would be calling something a story that wasn't a story. Like um, having a timeline of your company, it's a timeline. It's not a story, but they would call it a story. Yeah. Also, just also just sharing one story. So, a lot of companies would just share the story about how they started, for example, and. But that's it. And you're going, okay, so brand storytelling is bigger than one story. It's not a timeline. It's not a slip corporate video. Um, it's not a, you know, logo. It's, it, it's, a, it's how you be really clear on what your brand is and how you share stories. So I was, I was getting frustrated when I was seeing people calling something a story that wasn't a story. I was hearing some amazing stories that companies had but weren't sharing them and weren't sharing them because either they didn't understand the power of the story or they didn't quite know how to do it or where to do it. So it's one of those things, Shane, every time I write a book, I sort of go, well, that's it. I don't reckon I've got much more to say. Um, and in fact, my mother-in-law said to me lovely one day, she says, don't you run out of things to say and it was like, or to write about? <laughs> and you think you do, but then when you feel like you're going, people should be doing this and they should be doing this and it's such a missed opportunity. Why don't they do that? Where you go, okay, I probably should write a book about this. So um, that was about 12 months. And the whole concept of, um, you know, how do you actually connect with customers and engage employees with brand storytelling 
Um, and it's, uh, yeah, and then eventually landing on the title, which I think sometimes coming up with the title is the hardest part of writing a book. Coming up with the, the title, you obviously ask people around you, you, you get people's input, you ask people that are really close to you. Uh, did you ask anyone close to you in terms of what you should call the book? Yeah, look, we, you, you toss it around with, um, you know, your, your publisher and, and other people. And I was looking, I remember speaking to my husband about, I go, I need I need a title of the book that represents, you know, when you hear a story, it's like this instant connection, like an instant connection that's really hard to pull away from. Like I need a story that, a title that sort of emphasizes that or communicates that. And and my husband goes, oh, I've got it. I've got it. I know exactly what you should call the book. And I go, what? And he goes, Teflon stories. And I just looked at my husband's not a cook. <laughs> and I just looked at him and said, you know that's the complete opposite of what I'm trying to achieve. Like story, like nothing sticks to Teflon, which is great if you're frying an egg, but not if you're sharing a story. So it was almost <laughs> like, well, what's the opposite of that? And um, it's magnetic. It's magnetic. So a mag- when you think of a magnet, it's like magnets just like this instant connection, like bang, and then it's actually really hard to pull away from a magnet. And so when you hear a great story, to me – that can be the outcome. You can hear it. It can be this instant connection and then it's pretty hard to forget about it. Yeah, I love that. And and you you dropped the title of the book on the last podcast as a bit of an exclusive and I was really honoured that you'd be able to share that with us. And so it's really nice to see it kind of come to fruition and, and see the book out and about now and, and, and obviously the uh, it's 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 a phenomenal book in terms of the journey it takes people on. And one of the things I'd love to hear more about, you, you touched on this idea that stories have this like instantaneous or this like instant attraction and connection um, that is feels very magnetic. Um, like we obviously know that at a personal level, we, we talk about personal stories. When someone shares a story, we have this feeling of being able to connect with that person. It accelerates this journey towards trust in a person. But like moving beyond just the personal story, the one-to-one connection, like maybe there's a, a business owner that's listening to this. There's a senior leader in an organization that's listening to this and they're going, okay, but Yes, I can understand that at an internal level, how we connect with our people, but, but what does this look like at, at a customer level, like an engaging customers? And, and what does that magnetic attraction actually look like for a business, for a solopreneur or a company uh, in terms of engaging customers? Yeah, and it's, and it's, you raise a good point, Shane. It was like when I talked about um, brand storytelling, it's regardless of whether you're an individual or you're a really small startup or you're a big, large company, it's how you find these different types of stories and, and share them in a variety of ways. So, you know, in the book I talk about um, five different types of brand, brand stories you can share, but, you know, like don't get too hung up on what they are. Just find these stories and share them. So one, one of the brand stories I talk about is challenge stories, so how, how a company has, you know, responded to challenges. And, you know, with there's been so many examples of that have come out of the last 12 months due to COVID. Um, the one one uh, one example I love in the book that I heard that I heard about. So I I saw their story on social media, um, and I contacted them. That was uh, Archie Rose. So Archie Rose is a gin distillery in Sydney. Um, they're only about five or six years old, so a pretty small company. And March last year, when they were forced to close down due to the restrictions, they were really concerned that they would um, their fifteen bar staff would lose employment. So within three days, they they literally decided to immediately to switch production from spirits 
to hand sanitizer. To you know, as we know, there was a strong um, supply and demand issue on hand sanitizer, and within three days, they had sourced bottles. They'd reconfigured their production line. They created and printed printed labels and produced seven and a half thousand bottles of hand sanitizer, like in just three days. And they went on to actually produce over a hundred thousand bottles of hand sanitizer. Not only kept their fifteen bar staff employed, but were able to employ another 15 local people from the hospitality um, industry that had lost their job. Now, this this story, when I spoke to the, the head of uh, marketing from Archie Rose, she said this story it just got global attention. So, they were, you know, they were on BBC News in London, they are on Japanese TV, they just got so much coverage for it. And she said it increased their database by 100%. So they went from like 50,000 to 100,000 subscribers on their database. She said for a young brand, she thinks it's um, elevated their brand awareness 12 or 18 months further than what they'd hoped. And the cool thing she said was, we didn't do it to create the story. We did it because we were living our values. You know, one of one of their values was around innovation and, and, you know, community. So they rose to the challenge. Um, but the but the fact that they did it, they then started to share their story, and then the story had such a connection that other people started to share it. So, you know, to me that to me that's a great example of a challenge story, but it's also a great example. Like you say, keep producing hand sanitizers. That's a great example of a creation story. So, to me, a creation story is either how the company started or how the product started, and you know that. Like, could you imagine that story? Like, if they're producing hand sanitizers in twenty years' time or fifty years' time, that that story should not be forgotten. It, it should be on every label that yeah. they produce. It'd be it'd be a whole lot more interesting than most of the things people put on their labels. Oh God, yes, exactly. <laughs> and and this is the cool thing too. It's like not only finding these stories, understanding how powerful they are, and then going, okay, so where can we share them? And, you know, you, you see more and more um, products that, that have got, you know, our story on, on the label uh, or on the packaging. Again, nine times out of ten, it's not a story, but sometimes there is a good story behind it. I, I love this because I think a lot of people, in the, in a similar way to personal stories, people think to themselves, oh, we don't really, you know, we don't really have many stories or our stories aren't that interesting. And, you know, but all of a sudden you hear you hear some of the stories that exist within a business and you go, how have you? How are you not shouting this from the rooftops? How are you not sharing this story in a more public kind of way? And what do you think kind of gets in the way of people either not sharing their stories or not even taking time to consider their stories? Like, what are some of the big barriers for businesses that get in the way of that? Yeah, th- there's a couple of things. I think I think the fundamental thing is they don't realise the power of some little simple story that that um, that can have that you know, instant connection and engagement. I think there's a lot of companies that start really small and want to appear bigger. So they want to appear bigger. So what they do is they look at bigger companies and look at their website, which is all full of jargon and, you know, we we provide best practice and cutting-edge technology to deliver great quality to our clients. And you know, I, I still don't know what you do. Um, so they, they try to follow that, which we're, they're just not saying anything. So I think it's underestimating the power of stories, which is the fundamental thing, um, and and thinking, oh, well, maybe no one would be interested in that, but they are interested in it. It's, 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 as humans, that's what we're interested in: stories. 
Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And and for these businesses, like one of the things I, I think about this through two different lenses, right? I think about, you know, the big organizations that have a long history and a long heritage and you could go really pull out some incredible, you know, creation stories or customer stories. What if we were talking to someone who maybe isn't part of a big company, maybe they're a solopreneur, maybe they're building their business, they're getting started and then maybe in the journey of like writing that story and creating those stories. Like what are some of the things that you found are helpful to be able to start to capture them or to identify them or even just start to even define them in the first place? Yeah, so part of, um, so in the book, I talk about a process to implement brand storytelling. And the first place you start is what do you want your brand to be? So let, let's not even worry about the stories yet. It's like, what do you want people to say about you as an individual or you as a company? Is it that you're generous? Is it integrity? Is it great customer service? So you, you actually need to define what what is it you want your brand to be. And then once, you, once you're clear on that, and look, a lot of companies do that. So they have a, you know, a mission statement, a purpose statement. They have stated values, but they tend to stop there. Um, so once you've defined what it is, then you go, okay, so where do we find those stories? And it's, you know, um, but the other type of uh, brand story I talk about in the book is culture story. So that is that is um, employees living those values, living the brand. You know, if you want to be known for great customer service, delivering, deliver great customer service, find that story and share it. So it is about finding it and sharing it, but being quite strategic with it as in, being deliberate with it, not just leaving it up to chance. Um, one of the great stories I love, and I've, I've heard about this for decades, this story, and it comes from Nordstrom. So this, this happened in 1975 where the story goes that there was a, a customer who bought a pair of tyres from a tyre shop and a few months later they went back to get a refund on the tyres. But the tyre shop had closed down and in its place was a new Nordstrom store. So this is in America. And Nordstrom don't even sell tyres, but the shop assistant still refunded the man's money. So the shop assistant rang a local tyre shop and said, how much could I get them for? He fully refunded the man's money. Now, if you search Nordstrom tyres for that story, you get over 7 million references. And it's like this happened 46 years ago and people are still talking about it. So it's one of those things. I've actually uh, researched that story extensively and I can't find the original source. So it's not clear if the customer shared the story or the company shared the story. Um, but imagine, imagine if, your, if your, one of your employees did something amazing like that and no one heard about it. But this is, this is 46 years later, people are still talking about it. Seven million references. And the point is, the shop assistant was just living the Nordstrom values of providing extraordinary customer service. He didn't do it to create a story. I mean, if someone had said to him, you know, what you did is going to go viral on the internet with over 7 million Google searches, I mean, first of all, he'd ask what's Google and what's the internet and is there a skill of this virus you talk about? So it's finding those stories and sharing them, sharing them in your induction program, you know, sharing them on, on your product sharing them, you know, on your website, just make it easy for people to find them. I reckon that what, what you just touched on at the end there is, is absolutely so critical is like, number one, how do we 
help others and empower others to be able to share the stories and how do we, well, first of all, how do we collect them and, and find those stories, bring them together? How do we educate with people and, and share those stories and, and give them the stories to be able to tell? And then like that last piece there is like, how do we actually make it easy to find? I mean, if you would go to most websites, you'd probably see the same thing. It, it's what you touched on at the start of this. It's a timeline with maybe one or two key events throughout history, but no real story that exists within there. And so like for someone who is going, Hey, I've identified our, our values. I know what I want to be known for. These are some of the kind of key, um, uh, themes that exist within our story. And I, now I want to be able to try and capture some of those stories. Like, where do you go to find them? How do you identify them? Um, what are some of the ways that a business can actually identify and collect those stories? Yeah. So once you've defined what your brand, um, to me, then it's about educating your people on the power of stories. Now, I, I Shane, I know I'm a little bit biased because that's what I do. I teach people <laughs> but the point is, people aren't people aren't even finding these stories or recognising these stories because they don't understand the power of them. So there's got to be an education process around the power of stories and then obviously teach people how to, you know, share them properly. But then once you do that, you almost get into this, um, you know, ongoing circular process of collecting them, communicating them, creating them. So, you know, like, for example, the Nordstrom chopper system created that story by doing something good, but then how you collect them, communicate, create, collect, communicate, create, and it becomes this ongoing, ongoing thing. Um, and it's, you can do it two ways. You can initially run, uh, I call them like story harvesting sessions, where you bring people together from your uh, organisation and you ask them some targeted questions. Now, you don't ask them to tell us a story, but it could be, you know, when's the time that you feel felt really proud to work for this organisation? Uh, can you think of a time when a colleague did something that made a really big impact or made a difference to someone else, whether it's internally or externally? So, and you'll find stories because people will naturally tell stories. And then it's thinking, you know, how do we share them? How do we share them? How do we share them both internally and externally? Um, and, you know, more and more of those internal and external channel, channels are sort of, you know, blurring and coming together. So how do we share them? Yeah, I, I love that. Like you've really just touched on through this idea of being able to help people feel empowered to be able to tell the stories rather than feeling like we've got to just emphasize, you know, everybody telling the story, you know, everyone get out there and spread the news, in, so to speak. It's more about how do we create stories that are just so compelling that people want to share them? How do we create, um, you know, stories that feel so aligned to the essence of who we are and who we want to be that they become this really easy, shareable, um, you know, story that kind of aligns with, you know, where we're going, who we are and what we want to be. Yeah. And okay. And encouraging your employees to share them on their social media as well. Like, and, and, and it's, it's doing it in a very genuine, authentic way. This is, it's not doing a bloody PR stunt and then go, oh, this is going to create stories because people see right through that. But it's, genu yeah. it's genuinely living your values, living your brand, um, but then deliberately finding ways to share those stories. Yeah. And I think it's similar when we have the conversation around vulnerability or we have the conversation around, you know, you know, or the kind of whole concept of like getting naked and just being vulnerable in front of your team. People know when you're doing that for the intent of, you know, making other people 
be vulnerable and it just never works. But when a person is authentically showing up and being vulnerable, it comes across incre- like with this incredible strength and it inspires other people to, to do the same. And I think people can quickly read through when it's a spin. And I reckon this is, be, this is the kind of big thing that I, I'm hearing from people in terms of around stories, especially is like, how do I, how does a story, uh, how do I make sure that my story doesn't feel like like where it's it's really self indulgent or where where the hero, especially like let's let's look at specifically around customer stories, right? Because there's lots of businesses or leaders who want to share, say, testimonials or they want to share their customer stories. How do you share that in a way that it doesn't feel like it's about me and it's about you know it's kind of big noting yourself or feel a little bit like I don't know proud, prideful if that makes sense. Yeah. Like how do you share yeah, that? Story? Yeah, no. yeah, and I agree. It was like you don't. So one of the, one of the stories I talk about is customer stories, but it's like almost. Make the story about the customer and make the customer the hero, not don't make it a testimonial. And that's what we think. Sometimes we go, oh, look at the great stuff we did for our customers. Um, that sort of test, it sounds like a testimonial, which, you know, is fine, but just call it a testimonial. Yeah. To me, it's, it's um, giving your customers a voice or recognizing your customers. Oh, one of the, um, one of the, uh, I, I got to speak to, so many companies around the world doing this book, which is one of the reasons I, one of the reasons I love this book so much, is because it's just full of so many great stories that companies are doing. One of the one of the companies I spoke to was um, Columbia Restaurant, which is the oldest restaurant in Florida. So I got alerted to them because a friend of mine was dining in their restaurant and they had stories on their menu. So she she flipped me something and said, "Oh, you need to check these out." And I did check them out, and their website's full of stories. And if you look at their social media, they actually share really good stories about their customers and their employees. So, for example, they share this story. They shared it on Valentine's Day. There's this couple that um, came to the restaurant about 50 years ago for their wedding anniversary, their first wedding anniversary, and they had dinner at the Columbia restaurant. And the next wedding anniversary, they came back again and just, um, you know, accidentally had were sitting at the same table. So Columbia now, every day, like they're booked in, their wedding anniversary every year, they reserve this table for this couple. And they've been doing it for over 50 years. Now, this whole, you know, they put something on Valentine's Day, just we want to celebrate true love and blah, blah, blah. So it's nothing about the restaurant. It's all about the couple. But by default, you sort of go, that's a pretty special restaurant where a couple has spent, you know, their anniversary, every single anniversary for over 50 years at the same restaurant. So, but they don't mention that. It's just sort of implied. So that, to me, is a great customer story. And and this is the world we're living in, in the world of shareable content. It, it creates this incredible story that other people who even are not your customers want to share, right? Because I, I see this, the number of stories that go viral of, you know, people that are sharing a story about a business. I'm like, I would never in my day-to-day life talk about that business, but I would talk about that story. And by default, that business is gaining huge exposure as a result of me sharing that story. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that's when I think it's got a, you know, any any whiff of this is trying to be promotional or advertise, uh, you know, advertising and marketing, people will not share it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. If you were, if you like, based on what you've been researching, what you've been exploring, have you seen anyone get this really wrong? Like what we should be avoiding, what we should be steering clear of, any kind of big lessons that you've kind of uh, found through some of your research? What I've, what I've seen is um, when people get it wrong, and I think things happen, 
play out. They don't understand the really negative stories it could create. So, um, you know, you look at, uh, you know, BHP blew up that, you know, indigenous site and it was like the backlash that they had on that. Um, you know, when you see, you know, like, what was the airways that threw the doctor off the plane and that those stories went viral because, mm. you know, it was, it was so against their brand um, that, so that's where I see people get it wrong, as in they don't actually understand the impact it could have on their brand because stories will just be out there and will fly and you know with social media. Um, and the other the other way I think people get it wrong is sort of what we just spoke about when they're trying to engineer a story. When they're trying to, it's almost like, oh, let's do this because it'll look good. You know, the optics will be good on this. And people just see through that. Just people just go, mm. that is just bullshit. Yeah, it's the that that is the Teflon story, right? It's the people who the try Teflon to manufacture yeah. it, and it's it, it's repelling, and you can see yeah. through it. And and this is, I think, where you what you've just you're making this really nice distinguish uh, distinction here between collecting stories doesn't mean manufacturing stories. It means being able to no. notice them and to be able to gather them and and collect them as they exist, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just it's going okay. You, if, if you know, if you want to be known as exceptional customer service, then clearly do it. Like actually live and breathe customer service. And if your employees are doing that, then you're going to have some great stories around that. So just share them, share them because it, it not only reinforces the brand externally, but it also reinforces it internally. So those stories should be part of all induction programs. I, I think really, really good induction programs should just be full of stories, um, you know, and in the book I talk about some companies that are doing that really well because, you know, if your induction program is full of stories of other employees delivering exceptional customer service, then by default you're going to go, oh, okay, right, whatever it takes, I've, I've, I'm empowered to do it, so just do it. Yeah, the, the the storytelling that exists within an organization plays such a huge role in the in the culture of what we celebrate as well. Like going, if we want to see more of a particular story, how do we start to make sure that we're actually telling and celebrating those stories as they happen? So the Nordstrom example is a great one. Like, how do you kind of share that story and and show people practically through story what is um, the example of our our um, organizational values or our organizational culture, and then those stories become really great ways that we can uh, to share amongst our people, so that we kind of got, we're all living off the same set of values and behaviors, and we also know what is the thing kind of things that we celebrate within this organization too. Yeah, exactly. And so every time we share a story about one of our employees living the value, we reinforce the value, and we reinforce that this value, this behavior is what we expect and, and you know, it, it, it's our brand. So we reinforce it. So then people live it and then we get more stories and it just, it just keeps going. You talk about in the book like five types of brand stories and you touched on like these creation stories, like where did this all get started? How did this all come together? You talked about the challenge stories, which is around like um, what do we do when, you know, things we go through hard times or experiencing hardship. And you also talked about culture stories, which is around like how do we align to who we want to be in terms of our values and behaviours. We touched mm-hmm. on three. At risk of bringing you back in season four, um, feeling unresolved, <laughs> we're missing two. <laughs> oh well, we we touched we touched on customer stories as well. We did, we so, did. So yeah, so we've got creation stories of how either how the company started or how the power product started. We've got culture stories, which is about employees living the company values. Um, this is, I think, 
under that chain is sort of what we talked about. It's leaders sharing personal stories about mm-hmm. what the values means to them. So that's on culture. The customer stories is how we showcase our customers and what you know what what we're, our employees are doing for our customers. Um, and the challenge stories is you know like the Archie Rose story about the gin. That's that's a really good challenge story. What we did, and then finally the final one is community stories, which show how either you as the company is doing good stuff in the community and but again it's got to be more than just your you know corporate responsibility stories the cool thing is what what are your employees doing that are just doing they're doing cool things in the community it could be have nothing to do with what your company does but you're just going hey look at what our employees our employees are bloody amazing um and so you you making them the hero, and then by default, of course, it looks it looks good. It reflects well on, on you as a company. Two things. Number one, I feel deeply resolved now, so thank you. Um, I can <laughs> kind of take this deep breath now. I feel good. Um, we often can see stories in the sense of black and white. It's very, you know, two-dimensional. Um, it's either you tell stories or you don't tell stories. Whereas like what I'm loving is that you've brought this kind of three dimensional aspect to it, or, you know, you've got five dimensions here where we can look at it through these different lenses and it actually re- helps to people to, people to realize that there's actually so many facets to storytelling that we can incorporate into our business um, and on behalf of our business, like in terms of being able to engage with our, our customers through all of this. And so, so thank you so much for sharing just some of those kind of um, at a high level, some of those types of brand stories. Yeah, cool. One of the things that we touched on at the start of this was obviously the magnetic attraction of stories in terms of being able to not just attract our ideal customers, but it keeps people with us because like, how do you find that storytelling like retains people, like being able to continually tell the story of our brand? How does it actually retain customers in the process of this? Yeah. Well, like, it's sort of like if you've got a really good story, um, it, it can almost retain a customer forever. So hence that magnetic feel. And so the yeah. idea is you should just be trying to reach as many people as possible with these stories. And then, you know, so, they could hear one story could do it. One story could do it, but the, the ongoing stories really help. I um one of the stories, one of really really quick stories I share in the book was when we went to um, Berlin a couple of years ago on a family holiday, and we went on a we went on a bit of a, a tour guide, and the tour guide told us a story about the currywurst sausages. So I don't know if you know about currywurst sausages, but they're like a famous. No, I'd never heard of it either, but it's a famous fast food dish in Germany. And the story goes that in 1949, um, care packages were distributed by the British soldiers to the people of Germany. And one woman received this care package that contained, you know, amongst a whole heap of other things, curry powder and tomato sauce. And so not ever having seen any of these ingredients before, she mixed them together and put it on top of the sausage. Right. So that so typically this fast is look, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what it how it it, it just it sounds pretty disgusting, right? So it's the dish is made from steamed they steam a sausage, then fry it, and they cut it into bite sized pieces, they serve it with fries, mayonnaise, tomato sauce, and curry powder on top, right? So I would never buy something like that, but <laughs> upon hearing the story we sort of felt compelled to try it. We give it a try. So the next day, we actually decided to go to the original store. The original store wasn't that far from us. The original store that started in 1960. So we walked out of our way to go to the original store. Store. The store wasn't open for another 30 minutes, but we waited. We seriously waited. Um, 
and it, I must admit, it actually tasted a little bit better than what it looked. But but I would never, never have been bothered trying it, and I certainly wouldn't waited thirty minutes for the store to open if I hadn't heard the story. If I had not heard that story, I would walk past that place and go, "That food looks disgusting." Never going in there. But the story influenced. Um, our buying decision. When you started telling that story, I could remember literally stories where I've done the exact same thing in terms of being able to, wanting to almost feel like you're part of the story, right? Like when someone shares a story and there's an element of it going, oh, I could actually, if I engaged in the same way, I feel like I'm almost a part of the story with the brand. It's something really unusual. It is like the word magnetic, isn't it? it it's really attractive. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and I think I think I like what you just said. Then it's, it's just sort of this sort of become part of the story. So, you know, if so, if I hear someone telling that curry worth coffee story, I would I would very proudly go, yes, we had that. We went, we went, we had it at the original store, and you'd feel proud of that. So you do become part of the story. I like that. Yeah. Might have to write another. Might have to write another book about that, Shane. <laughs> well, there's definitely a sense of pride that comes with when you do share a story. So I grew up in in Bundaberg, small town. Bundaberg's quite known around the world for its well, based on one of two drinks, depending on what you drink. It's either Bundaberg rum or Bundaberg ginger beer, depending on your preference. But both of them have phenomenal stories, and everywhere I go, um, somebody will know one of them. And when I talk about Bundaberg, there's this this pride of being able to share the stories that comes out of being a local in that area. And I can imagine that this would be a very similar experience. Like obviously we're talking about organizations at a, at a higher level, being able to share it with their customers and with the world. But I can imagine that even within an organization, if you to imagine a team unit being able to share the stories on behalf of their team, that illustrates the values of that team and the behaviors of that team and showcasing like the experience within that team could make that team really desirable in the same way or very magnetic in the same way it could to a brand, would would that be right? Yeah, absolutely. So when I run these like story harvesting sessions I spoke about, so you know, you get you know, you get 10, 15, 20 people in a room from all over the organization and you're asking these questions about when you felt proud or when and they're hearing stories, everyone walks out going, Oh my God, I feel so proud to work here. So you know, we talk about employee engagement. Share stories about what they're doing and, and that's that's a fundamental thing. People walk out of those sessions feeling so proud because they've heard stories of their colleagues or stories that have happened in the past and they go, I did not know that, I did not know that, I did not know that. Um, and that's exactly what happens. They feel they feel proud. So it's almost like how do you make your employees and how do you make your customers your, your greatest brand advocate? Mm. You know, you're not doing that through bullet points. You're doing it through stories. Uh, I'm, I couldn't agree more. And I'm obviously, I'm a little bit biased given the work that I'm in in terms of seeing firsthand the impact of, of really powerful storytelling and, and what it can do for employee engagement and obviously being expanded in that perspective around what it can do as a business to to your customers and to your, in, into the kind of the broader world. Um, I would love to kind of, I guess, land this on, on two kind of really practical pieces of advice that you could leave someone with who's maybe looking at, okay, I need to take this first step on this journey. And I would say the first group of people is you're a business um, owner or, or leader and you're trying to go, okay, I need to share more of my stories with our customers. Like what do I do next? And then maybe mm-hmm. also in the same way, maybe you're a leader of a team or within an organization and going, okay, well, I need to do the same thing, but maybe either internally within our organization, they may be the same piece of advice for both, but what would you say is like a really practical next step that someone could take? Buy the book? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my, that would be my advice to them. I'd be interested yeah, to yeah, hear yeah. your <laughs> advice to them. <laughs> um, I think it's 
first, the thing is being very, very clear on what is it you want to be known for. So again, whether it's a leader in a in an organization, what do you want to be known for as a leader? Maybe it's what do you want your team to be known for or your department to be known for? Um, and if it's in a it, it's a business, what do you want to be known for? So you've got to be really clear on that. Yeah. Um, and then it is really understanding, finding those stories, knowing how to share them, being creative where you can share them, making sure they absolutely come from a place of authenticity and not feeling like, you know, um, bragging or advertising or marketing, um, that would be my advice. Besides, of course, by the book. <laughs> well, I, I, honestly, I love every time we catch up and I, I'm, I'm feeling like season four, season five of the podcast, we're just going to have to have a, a regular standing uh, a calendar invitation to get you to come back and talk about what you're doing. Because honestly, it uh, from the perspective we've got today, it just reinforces the the incredible value that, that stories can do to create, I guess, create connection, engage employees. And obviously that's the big theme of the book, which is how do you connect with customers and engage employees with brand storytelling. And so um, magnetic stories stories is the title of the book and you can get it now um pretty much everywhere can't you in terms of online yeah, and stores yeah. yep all over the place all over the place yep I, I love seeing it show up on bookshelves and i love seeing it show up in the news feed Any, anytime i see it pop up i'm always it always feels me with a little sense of pride feeling like i've had a conversation with you and had you on the podcast and so i really do wish you every bit of success with the book it's like, everything that you write is always full of so much practical wisdom and so thanks so much for joining me on the podcast Thanks, Shane, and I'll come back for season three. If I haven't written the book, we'll just talk about, I don't know, cooking or something. I'm awful. I, I'm, I'm happy to just sit here and let you tell a whole lot of stories because in terms of the stories that you hear, it always walks away and gives me something to share next time I'm at a, at a dinner party as well. Yeah, maybe we can do recipes you can cook on a Teflon fry pan. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Raoul. Thanks, Shane. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.